Welcome to the Enjoy More 30s Family Finance Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to making life more enjoyable for young families by hitting on the financial topics that tend to weigh on us, stress us out, and distract our focus from simply enjoying life. Hello and welcome to the Enjoy More 30s Family Finance Podcast. We have a really cool episode for you today as we transition between seasons. And this is actually a recording of a guest spot that I did on the Wedding Chaplain podcast with David Anderson. This is a really, really cool episode as nobody really thinks about finances going all the way back to the engagement phase, but this is where you have the opportunity to really set and align the goals that you may have with the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. So check it out as well as if you know anybody who is engaged, anybody's getting married, Uh, The Wedding Chaplain podcast is a really, really unique offering out there, so you can check that out as well with David Anderson. Hope you enjoy, and I'll talk to you soon. Well, I am so excited today to have a wonderful guest on the Wedding Chaplain podcast. His name is Joe Oakley, and uh, Joe, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely, David. Uh, As we kind of shared with you beforehand, before we got recording here, I'm really, really excited to talk to you today about what you've kind of touched on. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Joe has his own podcast, and you may be actually listening to this on his platform. He has the Enjoy More 30s Family Finance Podcast. So whether you're listening to uh, this on the Wedding Chaplain Podcast or his podcast, uh, we are just so thankful for you uh, tuning in today. And uh, uh, whether you're a listener to me or not, I- I'm a wedding minister. And I reached out to Joe for one specific area. It is the area of finances and engaged couples. Uh, we s- deal with a lot of engaged couples, and our conversations with those couples usually are somewhere in the area of 9, 10, 12 months, sometimes longer. Um, but it is always an interesting conversation when I bring up the area of finances to these couples who are preparing for marriage. And uh, many times it's not the thing that they've thought about. They they might have a budget for their wedding. They might have thought about what they're going to do with their finances uh, after the wedding. Uh, but overall, it usually looks like a good topic that needs to be uh, discussed with these folks. So, Joe, that is why you are here today. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and all of that. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I've been an advisor now uh, going on 15 years. Um, I uh, interned at New Horizons where I am now in college. Uh, and I've been here ever since. So this is uh, this is what I've been trained to do for a long time here. And basically, uh, you know, why I think today's discussion is so fantastic is because what I found as I grew in my career and I learned these things to help our clients to help themselves with their money and their finances and their planning and all this stuff that became second nature to me is that nobody else really gets this information, especially people that are younger. So, right. you know, you go to school, you learn Shakespeare and algebra, but then you, you get a job and you have money to manage and all this kind of stuff. And nobody really gave you any training. So, you know, I love working specifically with younger people because I know how much I can help them from an early age, get on the right path. 
And so right. when you get in the early path from the right age, uh, it, it just makes a life a, a lot more enjoyable, a lot easier to manage. So, you know, I've been uh, married now. This is my, will be my 10, year, <laughs> 10 years in, uh, in July here with my wife, Lauren, and we have two fantastic kids, uh, five-year-old Avery and two-year-old Noah. So uh, I'm on the same journey as a lot of people are, are getting ready to take here who might be listening to this. And so again, I'm happy to share some information because you're, you're absolutely right, David, the, the financial part of it is something that is unfortunately overlooked too many times. Right. Well, let's start, start with, we'll start with the good stuff first. Let's start with your, your marriage. You say you've been married 10 years. Um, do you remember where, like how you proposed to your wife? Do you remember how that story went? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I are both really big uh, Disney people. And okay. so I wound up actually meeting my wife uh, freshman year of college back in uh, 2004. So I, I've known my wife for quite a long time, even before, you know, we've been married for 10 years, but this year I'll, act, I'll also know her for half of my life. So oh, it's, wow. a, it's a substantial year here. And so we're big Disney people. And we took a, my wife convinced me to take a vacation to Disney before we had kids, which at the time I thought was just craziness. That didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but she, of course, is 100% right, as she's been many times over these last 10 years. And uh, so we went down to Disney and I had my my sister came down as well with her friend and I had her kind of smuggle the engagement ring down. And then uh, instead of doing uh, in the park, what I decided to do was at the character breakfast. Breakfast. So uh, Pluto came out after breakfast with uh, with an engagement ring on a, a special platter that he opened up. And then I you know, got done on, on one knee and, and proposed uh proposed there. So it was, uh, it was a little bit, a little bit different than your, your typical, I would say, Disney, uh, Disney proposal. And, uh, but it was a lot of fun. No, that's a great story. That's a very cool story. Um, so did she know that was coming? Do you have an idea that was coming? No. So actually the, the whole breakfast I would, I couldn't eat cause I was so nervous about just doing it. And so <laughs> she's, you know, braiding me through breakfast of like, why aren't you eating? You're going to be hungry the whole day. Like you got to right. eat it. And I'm like, uh, just hold on, hold on. It's coming. Hold it's on. coming. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you had no idea when Pluto was going to show up. He was just going to be random or you kind of had an idea. Or- uh, I, I planned it all out ahead of time. So I had talked to the, the, uh, the manager of the restaurant and, and all that kind of stuff uh, ahead of time. So we, you know, I, I chose Pluto out of the, out of who was going to be there that day and, and so on. So yeah, it was, uh, a lot of planning, a, a fair amount of stress, but it ended in a, a memorable moment. So uh, I think that I think I, I won and would do it the same way again. Very cool. So that I mean, that's a beautiful little fairy tale uh, story. But taking it back a little bit, did you did you remember in your engagement season talking about money? Like how do you remember that? Or was this a, something that sort of evolved later once you were married? Like what? What kind of money discussions did you guys have in your early relationship days? Yeah, so I think when people first start out and they're just dating, obviously everything is is completely separate. There's really no overlap at all. And then when you get engaged and you have to start planning a, a wedding and money is part of planning a wedding, now you start kind of doing some of a crossover. And even for me, when we started out, you know, I was also starting out with with my job more or less still. So there wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't as much detail, I guess, as uh, as it you know grew to later on. But the important things, kind of ahead of time, were that you start having those discussions. 
So, you know, like, you know, when Lewis and Clark, they knew they both wanted to be explorers and go across the country. But if one wanted to go to Texas and one wanted to go up to, you know, what would be Washington state, those are two different things. So you're both, you need to have some idea goals wise of what direction that we're, that you're going in and finances is a part of that. So like when Lauren and I had discussions during engagements, uh, or during our engagement time, it was, you know, where do we want to live? And, you know, do we want a family? And, uh, you know, what kind of house do you see yourself in? And, you know, so you, you have to, you have to have, uh, in my opinion, some of those conversations directionally in the engagement phase, so that you can start, you know, getting a good idea of, okay, are we, we both want to get married, but we, do we want to get married in the same way? And, and, you know, go in the adventure in the same exact direction kind of a deal. Right. And that is, listen, that that idea of goals, I, I think that's probably the most important part, because a lot of times when I when I have the discussion about finances and I tell all of my couples up front, I am not Joe Oakley. I am not the financial <laughs> planner. They, you know, I, I send them to, you know, go get a book on this or talk mm-hmm. to somebody. I'm more interested, I guess, in the emotional side of it. What did your parents do? family of origin how do they handle money did they fight over money all this kind mm-hmm. of thing. so um so that's where i sort of land with them but what is interesting in what you just said was that idea of goals and oftentimes when i'm talking to couples about money it's not really a goal conversation it is a now conversation like mm-hmm. we pay for the mortgage and so right now he puts in she puts in we pay for the car he puts in, he puts, you know, it's mm-hmm. the, how are you paying the bills today? Talk to me a little bit more about that idea of goals. What's the difference between a today financial idea and a goal centered financial idea? Yeah. So some of the, some of those things overlap to, to some degree, like what you were saying, because, you know, when you talk about, okay, who's paying the mortgage or, you know, how much are they saving? Like, any goal that you have usually requires some kind of financial aspect. So if it's a couple that doesn't have a home yet, but that wants to buy one, what their credit scores are, are kind of important for that. How much right. extra cash flow they have right now is kind of important to that. If they want to you know, go on uh, vacations or they want to live in a bigger house down the road, you, know, you need cash flow that supports some degree of savings still. Um, you know, so budgeting and bill payment. These are things that kind of tie into those longer term goals because you're right, you know, it's like, what are you doing right now? But also now the goals say, okay, this is what I want to do in the future. And is what am I doing right? What I'm doing right now, will that be able to adapt to allow me to do some of those things in the future? So, you know, we've we've come across, I mean, money, whether you're engaged or whether you've been married for 10 years, it, it can be one of the biggest drivers of relationship stress. And so the earlier that you can try to address it and talk about it. Um, money's been this like big taboo thing in our society where it's like not proper to, <laughs> to talk right. to people about money. Right. And that's the, the way that you, uh, you kind of stay in the dark about it. You got to talk about it. You have to ask questions in my opinion and get some of that clarity. So, I mean, we've heard of people engaged where all of a sudden they find out their partner, uh, you know, has a bunch of credit card debt and, you know, a terrible credit score. And they could see like, Hey, you know, this person may not be able to do the the things that I want to do with the person I marry in my life kind of a deal. So, um, you know, it's really important to, to align those goals and then start talking about finances. And in my opinion, at least to make those finances kind of as joint as possible as you start progressing into, you know, married life. Okay. So you're a, it sounds like you're an advocate for joint accounts. I hear, I hear from both sides. I hear a lot of folks who they keep it very separate and, and I always press them. I press mm-hmm. them on this. I'm like, okay, when are you like, 
the day after the wedding, a month after the wedding, a year after the wedding? When when do you guys plan on going joint? And many times I they're sort of like, well, I don't know if we are going to go joint. So talk to me about that. What's what is the importance of joint versus keeping things separate? Sure. And so the the first point I'll go over is just account type in general. So you can have, you know, my accounts versus your accounts, but make sure they're all joint accounts. So they should all technically be joint uh, bank accounts. So like for myself, I, I use one bank primarily. My wife uses another bank primarily. We look at everything jointly, but, you know, she looks at those as kind of, you know, the ones accounts she would go to first. I have mine that I would go to first kind of a deal, but all of the accounts have both of our names on it. So if you don't have joint accounts, then God forbid, let's say you're in the hospital and you can't, you know, get money out of your account. You can't walk in and say, oh, I'm, I'm their spouse. Give me some of their money they will go by whoever's name is on that account. So even if you do choose to be more separate with your finances, I would highly, highly recommend that you make sure the registrations on those accounts are joint so that your spouse could get into the account in a in, you know, case of emergency. So I'd say off the, off the bat, that would be the first, the first item when you look at it from an account type standpoint. Um, going deeper into that about how you're looking at your finances, when you guys are you know, starting on your journey to be, you know, to have a life together, you're one family. And you know, having one family is important to, to look at things and goals jointly because they are joint. So like when you get to retirement, if like one of you saved enough and the other one didn't, you're not going to be like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to retire now and, and good luck to you. It's like you right. retire together. You, uh, you send your school kids to school together. And you know, what we've seen happen at times is when you start when you're young and it's like, okay, well, I'm handling the mortgage and the utility bill and you're handling the groceries and this, you know, the, the car loans. If one person has the careers change, maybe one person isn't able to, you know, pay the mortgage as well. And now they start taking on some credit card debt because that's their, their situation, their side of things. But at the end of the day, if one person has credit card debt, everybody has credit card debt. That's that's, right. that's holding back the family. Uh, or, you know, if, if one person has a work plan that allows for matching and it would be great to take advantage of that kind of thing, but they don't have the cash flow to do that because technically, oh, I'm supposed to do the mortgage, you know, that kind of stuff. If you're not looking at it jointly, then you're not taking advantage of all the potential opportunities. You don't see cumulatively as well where you guys are going and you avoid some of those pitfalls, like I said, where if one person is going to, you know, take on credit card debt or something like that, if they wind up not being able to manage their situation or, you know, they're half of the bill, so to speak. So, uh, you know, in my mind, you know, as, as joint as possible, obviously we don't push people, you know, you have to be joint or we're not going to work with you kind of a thing. But in our opinion, you know, you should, you have, you should be having everything as, uh, as joint together and looking at it jointly together. It's, it's, you know, it's your joint situation kind of a thing, your joint life together. Right. Well, it's also too, I mean, when we have our, when we have our conversations, I mean, money's not a sexy topic. I mean, it is no. just not, when we talk to couple, you know, how did you guys meet? And, you know, those those are beautiful stories. Tell me about your family. What do you like about each other? And it it's it's great that you guys have things in common. Uh, you both have the same uh, Marvel movie, superhero and comp, whatever. <laughs> okay. um, money is really, you know, we, we don't we don't fight. We don't have conflict. We have so much in common. We. Um, we're just connected on all these levels. And what I, what I tell people, like you're not married until there's money. 
okay, until there's money involved. Money tells you that you're married. Um, the model we use frequently is the idea of a business. If two businesses merge, they're not merged until there's money involved. I mean, there, there's we're, we can be associates, we can be whatever, but if you're partners, that means we are in the, the mm-hmm. common pot together. So, um, when should you start this discussion? Okay, maybe first date might be too early. Like, hey, you're cute, and what's your credit score? Uh, but when when should you start having some of those discussions? Yeah, uh, first date, it's cute. Yes, <laughs> I would say yeah. you know it's just uh, uh, when you when you start getting uh, serious. In, in my opinion, like if for me, like when I thought like oh, I would like to uh, propose to uh, to my wife. Um, and, you know, marry her, I was doing that because I already knew, like, I knew that she wanted kids and I wanted kids. And right. so some of that stuff. So a lot of the, again, going back to the goals piece of it, like that can really tie into to helping with the money part. So you don't have to necessarily be like, hey, what's your credit score, you know, from day one. But if you know what things that you guys are wanting to do, and not just like the Marvel movie today, or we don't fight today is kind of you're saying, but like, what do we want to do five years from now, 10 years from now? What direction we, do we want to really be going into? Um, you know, the money, it really ties into that a lot. So, um, you know, certainly as you as you get into uh, being engaged and whatnot, it's kind of a good opportunity because it's like, you know, well, how much do you have in your bank account, hon? How much do I have in my bank account? Because like, these are the things that we need to be, you know, using to maybe help pay for this wedding. So it, I think the engagement can be a good opening of a door. To have uh, to have more of a a, um, a site directly into what they have, but before you, I would even get engaged to someone. Again, I would want their you know to have some idea longer term on the on the goals, and that can kind of tell you something about uh, what direction you're heading in. Um, I think another thing that you could talk about is you know stuff like. Um, Oh, you know, did your parents help you out paying for college or did you do that on your own? Or like you, there's things like that that you can bring up in conversation as well. So like for myself personally, like my uh, my mom paid for, you know, part of my my schooling and I took on the other half of loans for my wife. She was fortunate enough where her parents took on that. But those are kind of things where it's not like, hey, what's your credit score? Like, what's your bank right. account number? It's yeah. kind of like, how do you how did your family teach you to approach money? Did they teach you just to take out a bunch of loans and who cares? Did they teach you like, you know, try to minimize that thing? You know, why did you go to that school? Did you go to it because uh, you got the most you know financial aid for that school? Did you do it just because you like the campus the most? Like, you know, there are things that money has touched already in your life that if you have discussions on like why you wound up where you are with some of those things, you can start to piece together a little bit of what their baseline personality might be when it comes to money. Well, and then you also determine their values as well. I mm-hmm. mean, there's, there's all, you know, there's no, there's not really a good or bad, but you, you should make sure you're on the same page. What you lease a car versus buying a car, you buy a car every three years or mm-hmm. you drive it to it dies. Uh, those are values. Those are values behind that. Again, there's not necessarily a good or bad, but you also want to make sure like, hey, if I am, I'm driving this beater till it's 300,000 miles and you want a, a new car every three years. Again, that's not good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I certainly have an opinion on it, but mm-hmm. like you want to make sure like, hey, we're on this. We're on the same page. So um that's a great example too with the car because it could be something like, oh, you know, you uh, did you buy or lease your car? Oh, I, I leased it. Oh, right. you know, how did you come up with how much you could afford for that? Like, I don't, you know, you know, 
how did you kind of come up with that kind of equation? Like, how did you know? And right. now you get them talking again and you could hear like, well, I, I don't know. I just, I just, you know, saw it on the lot and I liked it. So, you know, I bought it. And again, now you're starting to establish a little bit of a mentality because if that's how they approach car buying, that's probably going to have, you know, be how they approach some other things in life as well. So I think right. that's a, a cool example that you could use as well. Right. And you could say, you know, how much do you, do you save? Do you like mm -hmm. to save? Did you, did you start working as a teenager? What did you do with mm -hmm. the money you made? You know, you, you can get around it. Um, what do you do when you start seeing red flags? I mean, I guess if you're dating, you just kind of break up. But, hey, we're engaged and I'm starting to see red flags. What, um, how do you handle that? That might be a better question uh, for you because that, yeah. <laughs> that, that works a lot in the uh, the emotional realm. I mean, from a, a dollars right. and cents standpoint, if you see a bunch of red flags, I mean, money is like number one or two on the list of most studies for reasons that, you know, stress is in a relationship. It so is. if uh, if money looks like it's going to be a kind of a bombshell, if you're you, if you're approaching it uh, without emotion, it's probably uh, something that could be a, a problematic relationship. But I'll, I'll leave the rest of that answer to you. I think. Well, no, I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I probably set myself up for that. I mean, there's probably. Give me this thought, you know, I. People, it's hard to change people. Like if you're a saver, you're a saver. If you're a spender, you're a spender. It's very hard to turn a spender into a saver. You can. You got to sort of, you got to really work with those folks. Um, but I think that's, you know, so we, we do a tool uh, called SIMBAS. It stands for saving your marriage before it starts. It's like an assessment. They, mm -hmm. they ask, you ask questions and they get a report. There's a whole, there's a whole thing on, on money and it's it's not a financial breakdown it does ask you you know how much you know are you bringing zero debt some debt mm -hmm. significant amounts it doesn't give a dollar number mm -hmm. but it also it will ask you are you a saver or a spender it will ask you if you if you make a budget are you a budgeter well yes i'd live by it religiously i started mm -hmm. it but i don't do it or budget what does that mean and they have these sort of choices but the other things they're sort of asking too is like what is your what are your financial fears? And that's the stuff mm -hmm. I'm interested in. Um, you know, there is the, I want to be recognized. I want to have influence. I want to uh, have security. Those are fears. Those mm -hmm. are your emotional things. All, all money issues have emotional issues underneath them that you have to uncover. Um, so those are the things that, that I'm after. And if you start to see it, that's one of the things. I have had some folks, they get to that page and they just sort of kind of see it. Mm -hmm. And I really hope they haven't seen it for the first time. Sometimes they do. <laughs> um, but you, you do have to sort of talk through like, like this won't go away. It's not going, it's not going to necessarily change. Um, how do you introduce budgeting to a couple that's not really doing that? Like, like, Hey, help me with this whole budgeting thing. Like, how do you, how do you sort of start that conversation with them? Yeah. I mean, when you're young, the most important thing is just make sure that you're saving some part towards yourself. Because when you start at an early age, so when I went back to my high school to do a presentation to try to help kind of uh, establish this point for, for high school students. But in the example, it was like a 22-year-old versus a 23-year-old. And the 22-year-old and the 23-year-old both start to save $200 a month. But the 22-year-old, because they save for one extra year, at retirement, you know, 40 years later, that extra $200 a month for one year came out to like an extra $200,000. Wow. So 
the power of money over time is just, it's incredible because it just keeps growing and building off of itself. And that example, one person didn't save an extra 2,400, they saved an extra 2,400, which grew for 40 years. So right. it's a really, really powerful uh, component. So when young couples first come out, there's a lot of stuff that you want to spend money on. And I, I totally get that. You want the house, you want the new furniture, uh, a car or whatever it might be. I would just, the, the biggest thing is, you know, don't spend more than you make in general right. and make sure that you pay yourself just a little bit more. Like if I, I, I'm going to save $200 a month, you know what, let, let me try to push it to $300 a month. So really right. just try to make sure that you pay yourself something and just push that number a little bit. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be like $1,000 a month or anything like that. But I promise you, you know, those, those little extra amounts that you save now are really going to grow to, you know, potentially something very substantial down the road. Right. I think one of the things that I run into more, and I've been doing weddings for close to 25 years, but I'm still, I'm 48, so I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to talk like the olden days, but one of the things that I have noticed, I, I pastor a church and I've got some older couples who, they've been married for 40, 50, 60 years. And I think the thing that has struck me the most is there is really no idea or no strong idea about starting off. Okay. And you'll hear these older couples who say, yeah, when we started off, uh, we had a small apartment. Uh, we, we had a, we, my aunt's ugly couch and we had borrowed furniture and there was a there was a tradition or your family members gave you furniture and you eventually grew out of that or you eventually got your your second home or whatever you went from renting to buying things like that the thing that is is very striking now there is no starting off it's we're going to get it all now like we're yeah, just going to get it all now and it's whatever the credit limit sort of sets you at or whatever i can afford as a payment i hey we can afford that payment we could afford we need new furniture we could afford a hundred and whatever dollars for the payment, that kind of thing. How do you sort of speak to, to that kind of stuff? Well, first off, I mean, I think that's a, a great point overall. And the, the first part of that I would say is when you're going to buy a house, that's usually the thing that people get stuck in the most. And right. uh, I, to this point, 15 years in, I don't think I've ever seen an approved mortgage limit that I would actually say somebody could afford. You might right. be able to afford that if that's the only thing that you do. You don't go on vacations. You don't really have, right. you know, you don't save toward yourself. If you want to just work so that you can pay the mortgage, that's kind of how the uh, the upper limit of what they say, hey, we'll give you a loan for, tends to come out from what I have seen. So the in that in that realm, I would definitely say, no matter what they say, they'll give you a loan for. It's probably more than you can afford if you really want to be able to like save money towards yourself and do other things to grow into a good financial situation. So definitely take kind of a, a cut off the top of that. Uh, and, you know, set a goal to, you know, ideally at a minimum, you want to save, you know, let's say 10% of your income towards yourself. So even if it's not from day one, but let's say you make a hundred thousand dollars, that's roughly $10,000 per year. That should be the goal of what you should kind of get to as a minimum. So maybe year one, it doesn't happen because you're buying new furniture or, you know, year two didn't happen because you had to save up money for, for the house, but that should be kind of the target. Like I want to save at least something towards myself from day one, but I want to work up to maybe say 10% of what I'm making. 
that'll get you into a really good spot more likely than not, especially when you have that mentality, you know, when you're young. And, you know, to your point, David, with, with your examples, all of those people that were taking, you know, loaned furniture and a little apartment and things like that, they were probably doing that because they couldn't spend more than they were making. They right. would not do it. Credit cards probably weren't available, right? You know, back then potentially yeah. to do what you can do now. And that's really the, the first part of it, that they, they did not spend more than they make. And then they made sure that they start to put some money away towards themselves when they could. That's the key. That is the key. Spend less than you make. I mean, mm -hmm. and it sounds so basic and it is like, you know, I don't know. How do you just stamp it on the forehead sometimes? Um, so one of the things that happens a lot in engaged couples or sometimes leading up to a wedding or wedding day or the days after um I mean, you could find yourself from family or friends, you could find yourself with a windfall. I mean, you could mm -hmm. find yourself. Now, there's usually a lot of money that has been put into the wedding. Right. And I have seen some tremendous weddings. Listen, it's the fun of my weekend to go to this wonderful event. I stand back sometimes and I look and I'm like, wow, they spend 25, 30, 50, 75,000 on this event. And that kind of makes my head shake yeah. a little bit i'm in um, north jersey so uh yeah big weddings are kind of a big thing oh, in, you know, <laughs> listen so i love to go and i will mm -hmm. certainly eat your uh your steak and mm -hmm. kebabs there i mean it's, it's great I'll, I'll enjoy it um but coming out of that you could end up with five ten fifteen twenty thousand dollars maybe a grandparent gives you something more um, how do I approach that? Like we're just newly married and, and I'm flush with cash. I've just mm -hmm. gotten pockets full of, of money. What, what is your approach to that? So my biggest uh, piece of advice when it comes to that would be to be intentional with it. So mm -hmm. a lot of people might take that money and just throw it in their bank account. And all of a sudden, you know, they look at it six months later and somehow it's, you know, it's disappeared. They're not quite sure where, where it may have gone to, but it, it's, right. it's really not there anymore. And this is the same approach that we use for our clients that might get a bonus or a tax refund is to plan ahead of time and say, hey, you're going to get $10,000 back or you're going to get this $10,000 bonus. What do you want to do with it? Let's plan ahead of time. And now you can make sure that it does what you actually want it to do. It doesn't all have to be saved. I mean, ideally, yeah, part of it would be saved. But at least when you're intentional with it, then you're going to have more chance of it accomplishing the things that you'd like it to accomplish. Because nobody likes when when uh, you know when I ask them like oh well, what is your bonus oh ten thousand okay where did that go last year uh, I uh, not quite I know I put it into my account but then you know, right. past that it's like it gets dripped and dragged away so definitely be very uh, intentional with whatever you get whether it's using part of it towards a house or part of it towards repayment of debt or part of it to to save and you know get that get yourselves on the right track you know definitely be intentional with the money in one way or another right. Um, how often do you run into a couple? And this is sort of a, this is, I could ask myself the same question mm -hmm. as well. Um, as we've said a couple of times, or we sort of alluded to money can cause stress. Money can cause conflict. Um, I, there was a paper years ago that was fascinating. They were, it was basically saying that, um, all couples kind of have rules for fighting. You know, whether they're written or unwritten, we just kind of, okay, 
you know, if we can't finish this in 15 minutes, we're going to go cool off or don't yell at me or don't cuss at me or, you know, once you throw a pot at my head, then we're done or whatever. Um, what this paper was saying, what the study was suggesting was if you have rules for fighting, okay, don't call my mom names or whatever. If you have rules for fighting, most couples will keep them unless it's a money fight. Hmm. If I am going to break our written or unwritten relationship rules, I will break it for money. I'm not going to break it because your parents stepped over our holiday plans or somebody came home late or whatever, but I will break it for money. And not only will I break it, I potentially I'll go for the jugular. Like I will throw all kinds of relational equity out the window over the money fight. And so I guess the question for you is how often have you run into or, or situations like the money thing has gotten to a point where it's causing conflict. Like, and obviously I would say, you're probably going to say, well, first call me, you know, but mm -hmm. um, help me with that. You walked into a room, you're trying to sort of advise and, and, and resource you to see this is a, this is a, this is a tense situation and it seems to be revol resolved revolving around money. How do you sort of handle some of that? Well, first off, that's such an interesting study because it just goes to show the emotional power that money has on. I mean, if you would go and, you know, beyond the relationship fighting rules, like you put it over money, it just shows what a powerful uh, motivator money can be, how much fear and anxiety right. can be held within. Cause I mean, money translates to security. What, you know, am I going to be able to do the things that I need to do in my life to survive in the way that I want to survive? You know, money can motivate people and push people past what would be their normal, nor you know, normal way of reacting. So that, I mean, that study from, uh, from that first initial part is just really, really interesting. Um, but for me, we deal with some of this stuff, not when it's about to explode probably, but as an advisor, and I'm a hundred percent biased because I am an advisor. Uh, so I will readily admit that, but I think that people should see an advisor as early as possible. There's this notion, like, I don't need to see somebody until I'm 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever it may be. And at that point, there's much less time for somebody to help you. So when I meet with a younger couple, while I, why I love meeting with them is because we can get all of this stuff out in the open in a safe way. So if, you know, Bob thinks this and Jane thinks this about money, they can voice their concerns and they could say what they feel out loud. And now they have somebody who's a professional that can help navigate through this. So like, yeah, I understand that you, you know, you feel like he doesn't have enough life insurance. You feel like, you know, he's not taking uh, saving seriously enough. And then I could take that concern and I could show it to them visually in a way that they can both digest it and now make a joint decision, like going forward from it. And you'd be shocked how many times this stuff is below the surface and the, and the other spouse doesn't even know. Like when we, the first thing we do is we always talk about goals when it comes to meeting with a new, new client. And when one person says like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to retire early. And then you see the spouse look at them like, what do you mean you're going to retire early? How am I going to get my second house? If you retire early, right. it's like all this stuff that's below the surface that they're assuming right. their spouse knew that they didn't know at all. So, you know, if you're, if you have a, an advisor, I just always recommend having that person to go talk to. And that just helps get all this stuff out on the table. Because even when I have to give people bad news, like nobody wants to come in and have me tell them like, you're not on the path that you want to be on, but they leave still relieved. 
because knowing I'm on a bad path and knowing the options to get me on a good path is much more comfortable than having no idea if I'm on a bad path, but kind of thinking I might be. So, you know, that advisor, again, having that professional, just like they're going to you to help them with the engagement process and gain clarity on that as they head into their life together, having that separate individual, that professional that can help navigate that for them from a financial standpoint, I've just seen time and time again is, is so helpful to people. Right. I like the word advisor and, and I have tried, when you say the word counseling to anybody, it just scares them. Financial counseling marriage counseling, even premarital counseling. They think I'm going to, you know, they're going to come in here and, and uh, you can lay on the couch and tell me about your mom or no. It's like you're almost doing something wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's going to, he's going to find out our secret. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I mean the, that advisor piece, like you should have an advisor. You should have a financial coach. I, I went to a lot of school and I learned a lot of things and none of them were finances. I took one <laughs> personal money management class to get my math credit out of the way. I know. Now, if you want me to uh, translate Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic to you, I'll be more than happy <laughs> to do that. But I already know, like I, that's not in my wheelhouse. And so having that coach, having that advisor is very important. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I tell couples all the time that the ant, you know, when couples get into conflict, they think the answer is either in your head or it's in my head. And you have to allow, whether it's emotions, whether it's conflict, communication, whatever, or finances, no, you have to make the allowance. Uh, no, there could be an answer and it could be in someone else's head and you have to go get that. That's why those resources are there. Um, what are some of the famous or not your famous, uh, the, your favorite resources, like where would you point some folks if you if they aren't necessarily going to come to New Jersey uh, this weekend? Where would where would some folks who are listening across the country, around the world, where would they where would you want to point them uh, to maybe do some of this if they're just sort of dipping their toe in before they come into somebody's office? Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, that, I, I like that line that, that you just used, though, as well. Uh, you know, it might not be in my head or your head. Like, don't assume that either one of us has the, has the answer. And I mean, that goes back to just, you know, the fact that nobody's, you know, you can't learn everything in school. Nobody can. The fact right. that you had one personal finance class is more than most people have. So you're actually right. ahead of the game, <laughs> so. uh, which is sad. Um, so, But it's uh, changed. Listen, what I learned I mean, I was in college in 1995. None of that applies anymore. I, I learned, how, you know, when I talk to people about bouncing a checkbook and the whole ledger thing, I mean, they just look at me like weirdos. Like, you know, you still have to do some of it, like to balance your stuff at the end of the month. Oh my gosh, no one does it. But go ahead, finish what you're saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just that there are people out there and like sometimes we're okay with taking advice from other people. You know, if it's a plumber, I know I can't, you know, unclog right. my pipes. So, you know, if it's a plumber, that, that's fine. We're, we're ready to admit like, yeah, I don't know that. And I'm okay with using somebody that does know that. But for certain things, when it comes like emotions or finances or money, like we don't seem to, to be able to jump mentally that, to that conclusion as readily. So uh, finances is that kind of that, that taboo kind of a thing. So when it comes to the resources, I don't know that there's a ton of resources out there for young people in particular, which is why I started my podcast, because I think Mm -hmm. it's uh, kind of embarrassing as a country that we don't educate 
our youth as much as they need to be able to go out there once they get jobs and to do all that. So uh, my podcast, I hope, is a resource that people can use for sure. There's some very classic books like, you know, The Millionaire Next Door, which is a really cool thing about just, you know, the, the wealthiest people in your neighborhood are probably not the ones that are driving the biggest, newest, shiniest car because they're spending right. money to get that. To make to have a, a large value, a large net worth, you have to not spend money <laughs> and right. save it and invest it. And a car is not an investment. So The Millionaire Next Door, I think, is, is a good one to just also throw in there to, uh, to encourage people to to look at the other side of the the spectrum that it's not you know what you're worth is not what you show it's what you have right oh yeah no the best the thing the thing i love to see is a nice not necessarily a huge house but a nice house the beat up car out front and i look at that and that is a smart couple somebody's doing (laughs) something smart there Uh, all right so the easiest way for people to find you, your website is enjoymore30s.com, and I'll put I'll put a link uh, to that on on my side in our show notes. But what's what is the easiest way for people to connect with you if they want to give you a, a, a call or connect with you when once they hear this? What's the easiest way for people to find you? Yeah, uh, it's pretty easy. Uh, you can, like you said, you can go onto the website, enjoymore30s.com. Enjoymore um, my financial firm's website is uh, nhwmllc.com, New Horizons Wealth Management, LLC.com. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, uh, Instagram, anywhere that you want to reach out, you could definitely uh, find me. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, any t- anytime uh, anybody has any questions on anything, um, please don't hesitate to uh, to reach out and give me a shout. I'm I'm, I'm not doing uh, all of this for any other reason than to just get information out there to people that should be having this information already. So please don't hesitate to ask if you have a question. Absolutely. And obviously, my website is weddingchaplain.com. Uh, you're more than welcome to uh, reach out to me there. Well, Joe, this has been fabulous. Any final thoughts, anything that you'd like to close us out with? Yeah, let me let me. Uh, one thing we didn't touch on that I was hoping to mention to everybody today as well is uh, one of the biggest things that I recommend young families do that do not do. One of the biggest mistakes that they make is not having enough protection for themselves. Mm, so you know, you get married, you start having kids, you have a house, and now you have something that's worth protecting. And as a young person, your biggest asset is not what's in your bank account. It's not your four hundred one k. It's your future earnings potential. So if you may make, you know, if you make $100,000 a year, you're on pace to make three, $4 million worth of income over the course of your career, right. if not more. That's your biggest asset. So I know, you know, disability, not a fun thing to think about. I don't like thinking about becoming disabled or dying or anything like that. But right. those are the insurances that make sure this house that you're building does not come crashing down if God forbid were to, you know, something were to happen to you. And when you're young and healthy, these insurances are, are very uh, cost uh, effective. It, they, you know, it's not something that's going to put a big hole in your pocket to make sure that your family's protected. Uh, I have an episode called "Survivors Don't uh, Don't Complain About Too Much Life Insurance." Like, no one's going to be like, "Oh, I, I wish that I got a little bit less from uh, from my husband when when he had, when he passed away." So right. just make sure that this life that you're building, there's so much great positive stuff. 
make sure you protect it because that's the biggest mistake that we see people make. And, you know, God forbid you have a little child or something like that out there and you pass away, you don't want your, you know, your spouse and your child to be put into a terrible situation. So something very easy that a lot of people uh, overlook. Outside of that, to close on a more happy, positive note, wherever you are right now, you're starting off in your life, just forgive yourself for anything you may not know. You're not uncommon. You know, most people were not taught anything. So what you can do today, wherever you may be, is take that step forward. Make sure that you don't live beyond your means and make sure you pay yourself first. And you're going to put yourself in, you know, very, very likely a great position for you and your family going forward. Very good. Very good. Well, Joe Oakley, this has been a wonderful conversation. Again, we'll put all the links uh, in both of our our respective uh, podcast show notes. So you'll be able to connect with either of us after this episode. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much as well, David. This was a really cool thing to talk about. And I hope a lot of people out there get a lot of value from it. Awesome, man. Thank you. The conversations on this show are Joe's opinions and provided for general information purposes only. They do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice for your specific situation. You should always seek appropriate advice from a financial advisor, accountant, lawyer, or other professional before acting upon any content or information found here first. Joe is affiliated with New Horizons Wealth Management, LLC, a branch office of TFS Securities, Inc. and TFS Advisory Services, an SEC-registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC.